Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Exodus, chapter 27, verses 9 through 19. And we are continuing uh, to read through the book of Exodus, and we are in a section right now where uh, we're getting lots of descriptions of the tabernacles. This is when uh, God has brought the, uh, the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and he's brought them to Mount Sinai, and he's told them, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people, this is how you are to live. And one of the things that they're going to do is, at this point is they're all living in tents, and they're going to make this one big tent in the middle of their camp. And that's going to be where God is going to meet with them, when they're going to meet with God. And so he gives very specific instructions as to how to make this tent, this tabernacle, this dwelling place. And, um, and it's really easy to just read through this section and just let your eyes kind of glaze over. It's easy to hear somebody else read it and let your ears glaze over. I don't know if that's a thing. But anyway, but it's, it's there for a reason. And one of the things that I think is helpful is as we read these um, descriptions, to really pay attention to what goes where, what is it made out of, and how do the, does what it's made of change depending on where it is in relation to the other items. Anyway, leave that for you to consider more generally, but maybe that'll be helpful this morning as well. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we do ask this morning that you would help us as we uh, hear your word read and proclaimed. Lord, help us to be those who have ears that are ready to hear, minds that are ready to think. And God, we pray that you'd help us to have hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives. Now that by your word and by your spirit, you would change us evermore, even today, into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Exodus 27, starting in verse 9. Make a courtyard for the tabernacle. The south side shall be a hundred cubits long and is to have curtains of finely twisted linen with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The north, sh- the north side shall also be a hundred cubits long and is to have curtains with 20 posts and 20 bronze bases and with silver hooks and bands on the posts. The west end of the courtyard shall be 50 cubits wide and have curtains with 10 posts and 10 bases. On the east end, toward the sunrise, the courtyard shall also be 50 cubits wide. Curtains 15 cubits long are to be on one side of the entrance with three posts and three bases, and curtains 15 cubits long are to be on the other side with three posts and three bases. For the entrance to the courtyard, provide a curtain 20 cubits long of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer, with four posts and four bases. All the posts around the courtyard are to have silver bands and hooks and bronze bases. The courtyard shall be a hundred cubits long and fifty cubits wide, with curtains of finely twisted linen, five cubits high, and with bronze bases. All the other articles used in the service of the tabernacle, whatever their function, including all the tent pegs for it and and those for the courtyard, are to be of bronze. Turning then to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Our gospel reading this morning was when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. 
Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Our sermon text is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 13 through uh, 25, and um, we're going to get in it. Um, This this is a section of uh, the letter where Paul is spending a lot of time talking about speaking in tongues, and um, I don't know if any of you have ever been in an argument with someone you love, and argument, discussion, have arguments, right? So... (laughs) been in an argument with someone you love, and they're uh, saying things along the lines of, you know, I don't think that you do the dishes enough, or whatever, fill in the blank. And you think, okay, we're arguing about the frequency with which I do the dishes. And so you start responding like that and say, well, actually, I do the dishes. And you start you make a whole spreadsheet of how often you do it and that sort of thing. Oh, is that not how you do this? Anyway. <laughs> But you know what I mean. You're, give, you're giving the information about the dishes. And at some point in the argument, you realize, this isn't about the dishes at all. That's like one, one example of a much larger issue, and it actually has to do with how the other person feels uh, loved or respected or cared for. Dishes is just like a, like a symptom of a larger problem. And the whole time you're spending talking about that symptom That may be helpful, but if you're missing the rest of it, you're missing it. Paul spends a lot of time in 1 Corinthians talking about uh, spiritual gifts uh, in general and the gifts of tongues specifically. And, uh, And it's really easy for us, I think, to make that same mistake and to hear how much he's talking about tongues and be like, yeah, that's what he wants us to know about his tongues. It's like, actually, no, there's... There's a bigger thing that's actually going on in this whole uh, letter and in this whole section, and this is like a symptom of the problem that they're having, and so that's why it keeps getting brought up. But that's... uh, Anyway, with that in mind, as to hear uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 13, going through 25, um, and maybe you'll hear what I'm talking about there. Uh, It it starts with, for this reason, 
And so, sorry, we can't start with for this reason. We've got to back up just a little bit. For what reason? Uh, he says uh, in verse 12, since you're eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And this is what he's been talking about prior, the things that are building up the church. And he says, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving? Since they do not know what you're saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. You hear it? It's about speaking in tongues. It's about gifts of prophecy. What's it really about? This is similar to what we just read in... um, in Luke, where Jesus turns to Simon and he's like, hey, I have something to tell you. Certain moneylender, he starts talking about the moneylender. It's not about that, is it? It's about what's actually going on in that house and how there's something that Simon is blind to, that he needs to be able to see. And so it's through that, through that parable, that story, that Jesus is able to uh, help him to see And I think this is what Paul has been doing as he's been talking about the problem that's been going on in the Corinthian church as it relates to spiritual gifts. We've talked a lot about how in uh, the Corinthian church, the context in general is you have a group of people who are wanting to follow Jesus in the midst of a culture that was not at all following Jesus and that they had been swayed by the culture. Now, when it comes to spiritual gifts, this seemed to be like, well, this is the answer, right? Because we don't want to be like the culture. When, so what we need to do is have these uh, spiritual experiences, and that shows that we're different from the culture. This is a whole other thing. And so anything goes. And Paul's like, look, the spiritual gifts are great, <laughs> but they've been given for a purpose, and it's not an anything goes kind of a thing. Uh, the, the purpose is actually to build up the church. The purpose actually is in line with love. This is why we looked at 1 Corinthians 13 so much uh, in December. Is, you know, it doesn't matter how many languages I speak. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, right? And so it just keeps coming back to that. Is what is it that uh, the gifts are there for? What is it that you are currently using them for? How does that not line up? Right? This is what we uh, looked at <clears throat> last week with this idea of 
uh, the prophecy and how he's encouraging people to uh, to have the gift of prophecy. Uh, let's see where it puts it exactly. <laughs> yeah, it says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, verse 5, but I would rather have you prophesy. Uh, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. It just keeps coming back. But this is the purpose. And so um, <clears throat> and this is where he gets into this, uh, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. This is what's been going on. Uh, uh, he says what they have been doing, the way they've been approaching this topic in general is childish. And they need to grow up. Now, if you were paying attention during the children's sermon, what did Jesus say about children? Let the little children come to me, right? Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not enter the kingdom of heaven like a little child will never enter it. And now here Paul is saying, stop thinking like children. Who's wrong? Mm. You, you know me well enough you know, to know that if I ask a question like that, it's going to be a trick question. Neither one of them is wrong. <laughs> They're talking about uh, different aspects of what it means to belong to the family of God. And yes, there is an aspect in which, uh, think about it like this. Jesus talks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and talks about how it's important to be born again and how does Nicodemus respond? How, how am I, as an old man, supposed to go back into my mother's womb to be born again? And Jesus is like, what? <laughs> hey, not really, but like, that's, not, that's not what I'm talking about at all, is it? It is, you need to begin again as a baby. <laughs> you need to start over. And in the same way that when you come into this world, you come in as a baby. Anybody know anyone who was born as an adult? No, you don't. That's not how it works. Same kind of thing when coming into the faith, when becoming a Christian. No one comes in as an adult. We all come in as babies. And so this is uh, part of what Jesus is talking about. Is That's the only way in, is as a baby. And yet, then what Paul is saying is, that doesn't mean that we have to think like babies Stay like babies in every way, all the time, forever. Can you imagine if you had a baby and then, you know, born the usual size, well, seven pounds-ish, all right? And then you kind of fast forward several years and this baby is still, you know, like a three-year-old now, still weighing seven pounds, no growing. They're not talking, they're not, you're like, I think we have a problem, right? That's not how it's supposed to go. Babies are supposed to come in as babies, and then they are supposed to grow. And uh, you know, as if you've, uh, if you've ever dealt with children, had children, or ever been a child, you know that there is a difference in the perspective of a child and the perspective of an adult. And we talked about this when looking at 1 Corinthians 13. This is one of the examples that Paul uses about himself. 
and says, you know, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me, right? Well, now he's talking to a whole church where he's saying the way that you're approaching your problems is as though you're all brand new believers. As though you're all still babies in the faith. As though you understand that, yes, God does give you gifts, but you still don't know why he gives you gifts. As though you understand that Jesus has died for you, but you don't understand what that's supposed to then do in your community uh, together and then more broadly. When, uh, When you were a baby, you probably had this idea that a lot of things sort of centered around you, right? Sort of comes with the territory, doesn't it? You have these people who are taking care of you. They're giving you what you need. And, you know, if you don't have what you need, you just cry and you whine and then somebody gives it to you and it's great. Everything's taken care of and it's all about you. And one of the painful parts of growing up is adjusting (laughs) to the realization that that's actually not how it is, that it's not all about you, that there was a season in your life where it kind of needed to be that way, but that as you grow, now you start taking responsibility for others. And you start seeing the ways that you can take care of others who need to be taken care of. And so there's a, a growth and a development that is supposed to take place. And Paul says this whole church is acting like a bunch of babies. <laughs> They're all thinking that God has given me this particular gift just for me because it's all about me. And Paul's like, no, no, it is good for you but it's supposed to go so much farther than that. It's supposed to be about so much more than that. Um, <clears throat> and so he tells them, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. I, I do like the idea that he could just say that and they, they would just all be like, okay, done. <laughs> That's not how it works, is it? <laughs> how do you just stop thinking one way? This is like how you've been thinking. How do you just stop that? Well, as we mentioned last week, <clears throat> we are people who are uh, <laughs> quickly forgetful and easily fearful. And if you were here last week and forgot that I said that, I understand. We're quickly forgetful. And so uh, one, of the things, one of the ways that we do change the way we think is by putting intentional practices in place. And so uh, if you look at how Jesus trained up his disciples, what did he have them do? Yes, they heard him preach. They heard him talk about the kingdom of God. Did you know what else? They watched him heal people. They watched how he interacted with people. They saw how he rebuked them and said, no, let the children come to me. And as they watched everything that he did, every, heard everything he said, the consistent refrain was, follow me. Do what I'm doing. <laughs> Learn from me. Walk with me. Become like me. Even to the point of saying, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to deny yourself Take up your cross daily and follow me. Die to self. Follow Jesus. Um, Something they didn't understand 
really what he was talking about there until much later, after he actually goes to an actual cross. Follow me, follow me, follow me. What he gives us is the opportunity to apprentice under him. Do you think you might think differently if you're intentionally focusing on Jesus, walking with him, talking with him, learning from him? Think that might change how we think? You think our thinking might become less childish and more childlike? There's a difference between those two, by the way. In 1 Corinthians 13, uh, go ahead and put the slide. There we go. We've seen this a few times. This is, uh, we're kind of breaking down how Paul talks about what love is and does and what it is not and does not do. And if you look at um, the, the red side over here, that's the childish behavior that we have probably all engaged in. Maybe more so when we were children. Maybe more so now. I don't know. Uh, but, but that's childish. This is the stuff that we're supposed to be getting rid of. And on the other hand, placing it with this kind of love that instead of being proud and self-seeking and easily angered is patient and kind. And instead of um, being people who are envy, boastful, dishonoring, other, dishonoring of others, keeping records of wrongs and delighting in evil... There were those who, are, who rejoice with the truth, who always protect, always trust, always hope, and always persevere. Very different. And we looked before at how Jesus is uh, someone who lives this out in everything he's saying and doing. And so if we want to know, okay, so how do we stop thinking like children? How is it we grow up and then are able to actually think about spiritual gifts and how we're supposed to apply those as adults instead of as kids? It comes from this. It comes from intentionally following Jesus. And this is why. Uh, Jesus also gives us a, um, a way to be reminded and to participate in his uh, way of love on a regular basis. We come to the table and we take the bread and we take the cup and he says, do this in remembrance of me. And we do this frequently. And one of the reasons why is because it is so, because we're so easily, quickly forgetful. And it's very easy to, uh, you know, we've talked about it before, do things in the name of Jesus that have nothing to do with Jesus. And so when we come again and again to this table and are reminded of the love of God for us, that's not just for us, it is for us, but not just for us. But it's something we share together. And we, we pass the bread and we pass the cup to each other. And so as we take it ourselves, we recognize God's love for me, but it's all part of the one loaf. We are all part of that one body. As we pass it, we're saying, whether by words or even just in action, this is Christ's body given for you. As we do this, we are being shaped and we are being formed. 
into people who <clears throat> are growing up and having a kind of uh, faith that appreciates and depends on the love that God has for us individually, but who grows up and doesn't stay as a child that way, but starts looking more broadly, recognizing our neighbors who also need God's love for them, seeing people for whom Christ also has given his life and said, follow me. We're not going to talk about the rest of it now. It is too late. Uh, and I will say on the part there at the end of the sign for unbelievers and believers, I'll just tell you, don't feel like we're skipping the good part because that's where it was all going to come in because uh, I've read multiple commentaries on that particular passage. Very few of them say anything along the same lines, and most of them will say, yeah, everybody disagrees on what this means. So there you go. Uh, but I do think it's a good spot to uh, immediately test how we're, how we're growing in love. Have we learned the lessons? Do we understand how, what it means uh, to be able to uh, love others as we maybe come to different conclusions on certain passages? And go, well, then do I have to fight to make sure you see it my way? Or is there maybe a better approach? Anyway. Uh, for now. Uh, we'll get to more of this next week, but for now, let us continue to put into practice intentional ways of apprenticing to Jesus, being his disciple, taking, uh, denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily, and actually, for real, following him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.